Money FM 89.3. Best of breakfast. Morning shot. Good Friday morning. You're listening to Morning Shot. I'm Lin Lee. Today, we focus our attention on the International Monetary Fund and World Bank's spring meetings in Washington, D.C. Now, the Silicon Valley bank collapse in the U.S. and the Credit Suisse bailout in Switzerland have spooked the IMF, denting its hopes that 2023 will bring an end to a series of setbacks that have afflicted the global economy since COVID-19 hit. Aside from warning of global headwinds in the coming months, the IMF also downgraded its real GDP growth forecast for both 2023 and 2024. For a deeper analysis, we're joined by Selena Ling, Chief Economist at OCBC Bank. Welcome to the show, Selena. Good morning. Good morning. Okay, following the IMF's outlook, US Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen pushed back, saying that the outlook was reasonably bright, though she said she was staying vigilant to downside risks, including banking pressures and, of course, the war in Ukraine. What is your assessment of that outlook? How concerned should we be? Well, I think I would characterize it as being cautiously optimistic. I mean, we see these swings in market, you know, hovering between recession and inflation concerns. And generally, actually, if you look at the IMF forecast, um, the downgraded it slightly by 0.1 percentage point, but they are still looking for growth, um, albeit uh, slightly slower than last year at 2.8%. And in fact, if you look at the US, given that, you know, recent we we had this bank angst over the Silicon Valley mm-hmm. Bank, actually for a growth forecast of around 1.6%, it's very decent for the US since the Federal Reserve actually has been tightening interest rates very, very aggressively. So I think, you know, for the U.S., they seem to be able to skirt a recession risk. Of course, there is still uh, the potential for a sharper slowdown in the second half of this year. But generally, I think, uh, you know, the headwinds are still with us. The challenges remain. You know, mm. you mentioned the Ukraine war. So it's just different intensities uh, depending on which period of time you're looking at it. Now, inflation is proving stickier than expected and the IMF is advising central banks to not halt the fight against inflation because of financial stability risks, which it says look very much contained. What action are you expecting to see from central banks? Well, actually, the bank end seems to have settled down quite a fair bit. If you look at the US equity market and also on the bond market sites, um, they seem to have digested the recent bank uh, failures uh, relatively well. I think some of that is due to the very prompt policy action. Mm-hmm. I think going forward, I think the sense is that you know the major central banks will separate uh, what they see as potential financial systemic risk by using other policy levers like the supplying liquidity to the troubled banks. Mm-hmm. Whereas for interest rates hikes, you know they're still very much focused on hiding inflation. Mm-hmm. So while we have seen headline inflation come off a bit, you know, because energy prices are lower compared to a year ago, generally the sense is that they're still very far from the target rates of like, you know, 2% for the Fed. And hence, probably they may still have one last salvo, you know, at the May FOMC meeting, for instance, another 25 basis point maybe to go. Okay, the IMF chief also warned that the slower growth is likely to be a severe blow, making it harder for low-income nations to play catch-up. What can be done to address this increasing divergence between advanced economies and developing nations? Well, it's always a struggle because in the global growth slowdown, the low-income countries, you know, basically those that are dependent on export demand will face a harder time in terms of uh, trying to drive growth. 
And I think we have seen, you know, over the last couple of years, because of the pandemic, a lot of countries spent a lot of money to try and fight the pandemic. And because of the rising interest rate environment, basically we have seen sovereign defaults by countries like Sri Lanka. So, you know, we hear news about, you know, India, Japan and the Paris Club coming together to start talks about restructuring the debt. I think that will give, you know, some window of relief for some of these distressed countries to basically get try and get back on their feet again. So the role of the IMF, you know, and Paris Club and some of the major debtors in trying to come together to have some form of agreement on debt restructuring, I think will be important. Selina, the IMF says that uh, a fragmented world's rival blocs may risk a new Cold War. Keeping geopolitical tensions in mind, how should countries balance short-term needs versus long-term planning? Well, countries always have to navigate you know, between all these uh, major powers and uh, the US-China trade tensions mm-hmm. uh, continues to spill over into other areas, including uh, investments and strategic areas like semiconductors, for mm. instance. So it's always a matter of um, balancing the short-term needs, which is trying to offset some of the counter-cyclical downturns, especially in terms of export demand, whether it's through your fiscal policy, managing inflation, through your monetary policy tightening. But longer term, I think, you know, we do recognize that, you know, digitalization and also the need for greening your economy is real. The need for upgrading your skills is real. So there's a lot of different balls to juggle. It's not an enviable task, I must say. Mm. I think the you know, key really is to, while you're you know, driving policies on the short term, you really need to keep an eye on some of the medium-term forces. Uh, navigating this geopolitical landscape, which is very, very uncertain, also creates uh, new challenges, I think, for policymakers. Now, we mentioned this uh, a little bit earlier, um, the Ukraine war. That's another key tension highlighted by the IMF. In the unlikely event that the war stops right now, how long will the effects linger? I think, uh, of course, we all do hope that the Ukraine war will stop uh, as soon as possible. But I think, you know, it's lasted for more than a year. And uh, for now, there doesn't seem to be any end in sight. Mm. But assuming that it ends, um, I think the question here really is that people have awoken to the fact that, you know, black swan events like this actually can cause huge problems for the supply chain, especially if the country involved is very important supplier of key commodities or key components that is required in your manufacturing supply chain. Mm -hmm. So I think this whole sense of the need to diversify and to grow your, uh, strengthen your economic resilience Mm. and to try and, uh, you know, manage your supply chain so that you're not overly reliant on a particular country, for instance. I think that kind of uh, challenge will continue and people will be very cognizant of the need to do so. Okay, amid all the gloom and rocky times, where does Singapore stand in all of this? And what kind of risks must businesses here watch out for in the coming months ahead? I think the challenge, of course, we have seen a soft patch in manufacturing and electronics, mainly because of the downturn in the electronic cycle. But um, this is kind of like being offset a little bit by the pickup in tourism and some of the hospitality services. So there is a little bit of uh, growth uh, that we're still seeing for Singapore and this part of the region. Mm. I think the reality for Singapore is that we are small, we are Mm. open, and, you know, competition is global. The cost issue for SMEs in particular continues to be very pertinent. They are still facing troubles, um, you know, feeling their manpower crunch and managing the wage increase. And the whole slowdown in global demand doesn't help. So I think, you know, those that have uh, survived the last three years of the pandemic are the tough ones, right? So they just have to keep going. And there is, of course, the need, you know, for policy to step in if 
we do actually face a more severe downturn. Yeah, before we let you go, what are your expectations for Singapore's Q1 GDP data, which is expected to be out later today? And should we expect to see a further tightening by the Monetary Authority of Singapore? Well, I'm looking for first quarter to be fairly soft. Um, Growth may come in about 0.6% year on year, but actually uh, contract marginally by 0.1% quarter on quarter, mainly due to the manufacturing uh, weakness that I mentioned earlier. But I think uh, services will offset some of that weakness. So I am still looking for positive growth year on year. But I think for MES, you know, like a lot of the other Asian central banks that we see, mm. uh, it's going to be a tough, you know, risk-reward mm. type of a balance because inflation is starting to come off year on year, mm-hmm. but still remains structurally high on a core mm. inflation basis. And of course, the global outlook doesn't look so favorable as well, right? Because mm. of all these geopolitical yes. uncertainties. So I think um, I'm leaning towards a tightening, possibly a recentering higher. But in the off uh, case, that off chance that they don't actually tighten, mm-hmm. I think what they will do is to actually leave the option on the window for a potential tightening down the road if core inflation really doesn't subside in the second half of this year. All right. Thank you very much, Selina. We've been speaking with Selina Ling, Chief Economist at OCBC Bank. Thank you. Thank you. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.